Log Talk Radio. This is all about dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically, what we've been doing this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have got some, some big people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine BCR. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine BCR. And now, all about wine is on. Here's Wow. All right. That was a scene like a wolf out there. And there we are. We are live, folks. So welcome to the show. It's Thursday, May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. Yes. Star Wars Day. I've heard... I have heard people on Facebook, some of my friends say, I never want to hear that phrase again. So <laughs> not to, naturally being who I am, I had to go up there and go, well, may the fourth, to, oh, I just read your post. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, or put it in the comment <laughs> section on their post. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, they posted something at random and they said, oh, today is, I forgot what it was. It was uh, some uh, John uh, over in Orlando, uh, somebody I used to work with, and uh, he posted First, he posted the thing, don't send me or I don't want to hear, you know, may the fourth be with you. And then he posted another thing that today was uh, some Saint, Saint uh, Flor- Florian, who was it? Something Saint oh. Day. So in, so in the comment there, I go, hey, uh, you know, uh, may the fourth be with you. And then down below that, I put edit. Oh, I just saw your other post. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, and he unfriended you. Yes. No, he kind of. I don't know. Went, went with it, I guess. But uh, yeah, pretty cool. Um, so those of you who are still here after that, uh, thank you. May the fourth be with you. Tomorrow's Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Mexican Mexican battle that they won. I I knew the story, but I I don't remember it right now. But uh, mm. Cinco de Mayo, and I also have heard that. We in the United States actually celebrate Cinco de Mayo more than the Mexicans do. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's we, we celebrate big, to celebrate, but yeah, yeah, it's a it's just big things for us. But yeah, it's not, not really so a thing much. in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like, they come over here like, what? What are they celebrating? We never heard of this. <laughs> it's not our thing. What's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. uh, all of a sudden uh, France picking up Fourth of July and celebrating it. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would happen. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything to do with us? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no. And that's, oh well. Oh well. Uh, uh, yeah. I was just looking here for any holidays or anything coming up besides that, but that's it. We've got Cinco de Mayo t- tomorrow, and may the fourth be with you today. And hmm. uh, that's it. I don't see anything else. 
Mother's Day is the 14th. Well, there you go. And then yeah. the 20th is Armed Forces Day. Mm. So we've got, we got a couple coming up there, and we're going to have a guest on the 18th, Eric. So, um, Isn't today National Firefighters Day or something? Is that today or I thought? I think I saw something about that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, gotta check that out because that's yeah. definitely a worthy cause as well. So. Yeah, something um, to to mention. That and you know, probably probably first responders days. Uh, obviously, the militaries they should they shouldn't just have a day. They should or a you know this week or something. They should have it like all the time. Just you yeah. Know, oh yeah. Respect I the agree. Uh, armed services, uh, first responders, it's just every time. Not uh, why do we have to set? Oh, let's just set aside a day. No, they dedicate yeah. every day to, to our lives and you know saving us and protecting us. You know, let's let's return the favor every day. So that's my little very good spill about that. So okay. um, excellent, excellent point, excellent point. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah they, we have one day. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah what, November 11th, Veterans Day. You know. Okay, one day yeah. and everybody goes, yay, veterans. Well, let's yay yeah. veterans all the time. And I yeah. say, yeah. Firefighters Day, one day, yay, fire. No, yay, firefighters for doing what you're doing all the time. No. So, yeah. Let's do that for so. military, first responders, everybody. Let's just. Yeah. Why not? Nurses, we can even throw those in there, too, you know, medical personnel. So. Oh, yeah. And we don't have a day at all for them. And I'll tell you, it's something tough, you know. So, and it helps save people. Yes, I'm surprised they don't even have a a day dedicated. Yeah, so, not sure. that I know of at all. No, you know that's that's yeah. something else you can look up here too. You know, is there a uh, a day for celebrate nurses or, mm-hmm. or something like that? I I think they include first responders in with firefighters most of the time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, your first responders. Yeah, firefighters. Uh, yeah, but not, yeah. You know, never heard of a nurse's day, celebrate nurses. Maybe there's one out there, we just never know about it. It's not mm-hmm. mentioned enough, I'm afraid, if it is out there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, there we go. There's our, there we go. our little it's all soap. about wine. Is that considered a soapbox, or is that, is that <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What would you call yeah. that part? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's 7.06 if you listen to us live on May 4th. And Mm -hmm. as we've already mentioned many times, May 4th we were here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If you want to talk to us, you can't. But you can text us. Because as is always the case, a few bad ones can ruin it for the good ones. So Mm -hmm. uh, you can text us and we'll be happy to respond or you can hook up through Mike and he'll be happy to relay anything yeah. on the show. So yep. let's see. Uh, if you want to call in, our guest call in line is 646-727-3235. And that way it will get you to Mike. And if you have questions that you want to answer or anything, now we can address it again. We uh, have learned we can't bring people live on the air, but 
we will be more than happy to address your questions on the air and do all that. So there we go. Okay. Uh, I don't think there's anything else of great importance besides the fact that it's just gorgeous weather here in Florida. And part of the United States is having it too. A big old Omega weather system is what they call it. And the reason for that is is the, the system starts up in Oregon, Washington, southern Canada, scoops down into almost Mexico, old Mexico, scoops back up and peaks again almost to Canada and scoops back down to just north of Florida and then back up the coast. And it looks like the old letter, uh, the old Greek letter for Omega, that's what they call an Omega weather system. And it gives this really cold weather in the two dips and really warm weather in the center. And so we're getting unseasonably warm weather as far north as Minnesota right now. So that's our weather channel report for today too. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we're we're down here in Florida and we're having 80 degree weather with uh, low humidity and it's just been gorgeous out this week. So uh, yeah, cool for us. Got some information for you today. Just you know a few things here and there that I've read that I thought you might be interested in. It was interesting. So let me go look at these things and see. Uh, what I've got, sparkling wine, cava, that is the Spanish wine for sparkling wine, uh, cava, and cava cells are usually pretty strong, but in 2022, they reached an historic high total of 249 million bottles of kava were sold in 2022. Uh, that is a significant 4.5% increase in sales across export and domestic markets compared to 2021. Uh, a great jump in uh, kava sales. That is extremely positive and highlights the product's resilience, they say, especially considering the challenges in the previous years. I mean, 21, 2020, it was uh, down a little bit. Export sales accounted for 69% of Cava's total sales, with uh, Germany maintaining a status as Cava's most important international market, which surprised me when I first read that. Germany they were right there next to France, reasonably close to the Champagne region and that whole area. And yet they are the biggest importers of kava. The United States comes in second with Belgium and the United Kingdom, uh, third and fourth. And the Sweden has jumped up a little bit by uh, their fifth by 35% increase. 35% increase in Sweden. That's just amazing. Uh, Japan uh, is next, 3.5%. And some emerging markets, they say, significant increases in Switzerland, 50%, Brazil, 
Estonia, 22%, and Lithuania, 22%. So it's quite a diverse market there for kava, and they've really started to uh, make inroads all over uh, the world uh, with their sales. So kudos for them. the area for kava encompasses more than 93,900 acres of vineyards with more than 6,200 wine growers. Wow, that's uh, quite a bit. So uh just thought that was interesting, something kava. If you are not familiar with it, I highly suggest that you become familiar with it. It's reasonably priced. It's a nice sparkling wine. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's comes in a variety of different uh, uh, sweetnesses. So uh, you might check out Cava, C-A-V-A, next time you use a Spanish sparkling wine. Uh, let's see. Is there something? Let's see. Oh, uh, yeah, here we go. Making sense of sustainable wine. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, This is a long article. I I read through this and there's a few things I I just want to point out. People get confused about sustainable wine. Uh, It it is a confusing thing. Uh, Most uh, national or regional sustainable wine growing labels such as the Certified California Sustainable Wine Growing or Sustainability in Practice, which is the SIP certified. And we've talked to that, uh, people about that too. There's also uh, Haute Valeur Environmental, HVE, or Viticulture Durable, as in uh, Champagne, are all centered around the sustainable wine concept um, it's, it's different standards the sustainable certifications actually work on uh, a point system more than anything it's they consider the soil the water uses the waste and plant management and then certification is granted when the required amount of points have been amazed Interesting. So it's not just, oh, this wine is sustainable. It is everything at the winery that comes into play. Uh, They can apply for the certification by filling out uh, questionnaires and uh, also independent audit. They don't just fill out the questionnaire and say, I've been doing this and this. They've got someone that comes in and actually completes the certification by auditing it in person. Uh, Once they are certified, regular audits continue to go on uh, so that they can be sure that they keep up their their, uh, sustainability or their points and all that stuff so they can keep their certification. Um, You know, actually in practical terms, it means that the winery can apply and be certified in a really short period of time. Uh, and if, if they 
look at what is going to be required and get everything, well, get the reduction in a row, okay, if, if <laughs> you know, and then they can say, okay, we want to be certified and it's done. There's no conversion period or there's no waiting period or anything else or uh, you don't have to, you know, grow grapes, organic grapes for three years before you can be certified organic or anything like that. It is just the point system, so as long as you have it all. Um, uh, certification also means that herbicides and fertilizers and pesticides and fungicides and insecticides are still authorized. So, you know, if you're looking for a wine that is uh, under the... Uh, sustainable label that doesn't mean that it is not using these now if a lot of them though are sustainable and organic or use uh, biodynamic growing if they do then all that stuff I just read you there is not going to be used so be sure you get the whole label i you know this sustainable is good it's good for the environment it's good for uh the winery and everything else but in practical terms organic grapes uh, refrain from using the chemicals uh which are prohibited by the organic rule book so if it says sustainable and organic or biodynamic these are centered around the environment more so than sustainable. Sustainable is actually doing the right thing all the way through everything at the winery. And so uh, the organic and the biodynamics is basically for the grapes themselves. So understand the differences of those. The sustainable is good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, a sustainable winery takes care of everything. Uh, they have everything together in fact we talked to a winery i can't remember which one it was now but they just recently had gotten their sip certification and sustainable in practice and they were quite proud of that uh so it the sustainable certification includes everything at the winery it is acquired by accumulating points in the different areas and then you get your sustainable certification Organic biodynamic is more for the grapes, and it's a much uh, rigorous or precise or uh, what's my word? Uh, uh, much more. Um, uh, well, precise, I guess, is a good word for it for uh, taking care of the vineyard. Uh, and so, you know, uh, remember that organic certification is is one of those I just told you it's a three-year conversion period, and you have to be uh, required before certification can be obtained for three years. And then the conversion period is needed to actually detoxify the soil 
and the vines from the chemicals that were used in the past. And they figured it takes three years to get it to that. Um, uh, organic has no regulations or anything regarding the waste or water usage. And this is, and you've got to remember too, those things are usually within the Appalachian guidelines. And Napa's an Appalachian and all that. Uh, ABA, American Viticulture Areas, uh, Appalachians. So uh, those are the areas that take care of the water and the waste usage and all that. Uh, so uh, the idea of being organic is to reestablish the natural balance of the vineyard. And which means basically eliminating chemicals that kill everything. And it uh, promotes uh, biodiversity in the vineyard when you start, you know, when you stop killing everything. And organic certification is regulated by state laws in Europe and the United States. And uh, audits are uh, required during the conversion period. But once certified to make sure the producers continue to comply with certification, so uh, it, it's they're being checked on that again, just like for the uh, 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 sustainability, and uh, it will you know continues to do that. The um, European, too, since I'm mentioning organic here. Uh, European Union created an organic wine category in 2012 that uh, specified that all additives used in the winemaking process need to be organic and cannot be derived from genetically modified organisms or GMOs. That is, it, if you are Organic in the European Union is a little, little bit more strict. This is a, the more stringent sulfite restrictions also apply in the winemaking process needs to be traceable and transparent. And we're going to talk about you know transparent and traceable a little bit too. Um, to obtain the bi biodynamic certification, a producer needs to be organic as well as adhere to more holistic farming approach. And we've talked about biodynamic in the past and uh, some of the stuff here is this, uh, biodynamic preparations combining mineral, animal, and plant elements are used as regenerative forces to boost soil and plant life as well as to reinforce the natural biodiversity. So, uh, you know, and, and well, here, let me finish this paragraph for you, in which uh, tells a little bit more about biodynamic if you're not familiar with it, or if you're just listening to the show for the first time. And then thank you for joining us if you are. Um, the preparations for biodiversity are diluted in rain or spring water, heated and dynamized by the continuous creation of opposing before they are applied in minute doses in the vineyard. There are nine biodynamic preparations and each one has a specific regenerative role or preventive purpose. 
at least the first two preparations, example, preparation 500, which is cow manure packed into a cow's horn to regenerate soil life, and preparation 501, silica from finely ground quartz mixed with rainwater packed into a cow horn to revitalize the vine. These need to be applied once a year in an organic vineyard to obtain and maintain biodynamic certification. And there are two recognized certifiers, Demeter and BioDivin. And BioDivin is only in Europe. So Demeter is a D-E-M-E-T-E-R. I, I guess Demeter, Demeter, possibly. But those are the certification for biodynamic in the United States. Biodynamic is really quite precise in what you can do and what you can't do. The, the times you plant, the times you put out the cow horns, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. You know, they bring chickens in to clean up the vineyard uh, or even goats, although you're going to be careful with goats because they'll eat the leaves off the grapevines. But, you know, Biodynamics is pretty strict. You've got to be certified organic, which, again, takes three years, and then go into biodynamic, which I don't think there's a t time limit on how long it takes to go biodynamic. I don't, s don't remember anything. Uh, once you've met all the criteria, you can do it. But all of them are basically social consci conscious. They are there to make a difference in the vineyard, in the wine, in the grapes, in the planet overall, helping everything, which is a good thing. I mean, we, we can't deny that. Any of these that do this and spend the time and effort on it deserves uh, you know, recognition and, and notification to... Uh, so people can know who they are and, and buy their wines and support them. Uh, although you've got to remember, well, here it says here, nonetheless, because the ambiguity attached to the word sustainability, the consumer often incorrectly believes they represent real ecological benefits. And they don't. Sustainability is good. Is, it's good all the way around, but it's not uh, real ecological benefits when it comes to uh, what organic and biodynamic do. So I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because we're hearing more and more about sustainable wines, and I, I tend to get wines that have that label on it too uh, a lot for some reason. It's, it might be pretty easy to obtain because I'm getting more and more wines that I'm noticing with that certification on it. And actually doesn't mean much of anything if you, you know, according to, according to this article here. So, okay, that is that uh, as far as that goes. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is... U.S. exports. Uh, the United States exported an increase of 0.4% last year, uh, but 
it's been one of the strongest ones in a long time to 1.46 billion dollars worth of wine uh, the trade group noted that the solid growth in markets like Japan South Korea Mexico who rose up 28% 18% 25% respectively while the European Union saw a growth of 8% so the United States is uh, uh, wines here have really started to continue their growth in exports around around the world. California wines actually are the big ones. They continue to perform around the world uh, with uh, growth in Southeast Asia, Mexico, and the European Union. Um, the Wine Institute said that the uh, total U.S. exports to the 27 European Union member states rose by $16 million. And that also includes strong growth in Sweden, Denmark, uh, which is a good since there were some declines in the United Kingdom and Canada. So uh, <laughs> that was an interesting thing I found, too, when I read this earlier. Uh, there are declines in sales in, in the United Kingdom and Canada. I think the United Kingdom, I, well, I don't know. I, I was going to say since they withdrew from the European Union, but I don't know if that's a reason for it or not. There's been all sorts of things back and forth. So, but the United States exports of $1.5 billion in wine, that's just absolutely amazing. Um, this, this was interesting. It's best wine in a box. This is a competition that was established in, in uh, uh, 2015. And it's uh, the Concours International Best Wine in Box. This is a contest devoted specifically to wines packaged in bag and box. And it took place March 28th in the French city of Toulouse, Toulouse, I think it's Toulouse. Uh, participation is just they send it out and say, if you want to enter this contest, you can do it. Okay. Um, nearly 400 wines were entered. 55% uh, were French wines and 45% from abroad, abroad from France, okay. Uh, usual wine producing countries were present Italy, Spain, and Portugal, as were other European countries such as Germany, Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania, and for the very first time, Moldova. Uh, New world wines included South Africa, Argentina, Australia, Canada, Chile, and New Zealand. Now, that was funny because the United States was not listed on this. I don't know why and I looked through the list of winners and I never saw anything from the United States. So I don't think the United States entered this. Um, this is donated solely to boxed wine and it is uh, organized by uh, Amelon in partnership with the University of Toulouse, which has got an on, uh, onology 
department and students there uh, worked on it. And then also the Octani region, that got me. Uh, best wines in a box, metals were watered according to strict rules, and the wines are blind tasted by juries, each chaired by professional analogists. So it's, you know, a pretty serious competition, and the United States wasn't part of it, which I thought was really, really odd. Uh, the results, uh, they, they also had a category for uh, the echo packaging, too. What, what was the best box that was pretty, I guess, <laughs> and was also echo-friendly that can be recycled easily and, and didn't use up a whole bunch of uh, resources to be made. Uh, tasting was on uh, March 29th, uh, this past March 29th, and uh, the uh, results were odd. The uh, number one in the whole thing was a rosé uh, from Romania, and it was a 1958 Nilhai Sin Vino Rosé. Now, 1958, why are you aging? I don't know. The whole competition is really quite prestigious, and it just seemed odd the way the whole thing was judged. I mean, a 58-row, hey, geez. I mean, and then they put it in a box? I, I have to think, what they do? This just for the competition, so they win first prize. I don't know. That's just strange. But there's all sorts of wines here and all sorts of stuff. There's rosés and Blanc, and uh, third place went to a Aito's Blanc from Chile. Uh, but the producer was uh, from France. Uh, it's just, you know, different producers from all over the place, and you see the same... Same producer popping up quite a bit here, but a uh, uh, lot of French wines in here, Portugal and stuff like that. So, uh, but over 400 wines in a box were judged from around the world, and like I say, most most of these winners here are from France because most of the or most of the entries were from France. But I just thought it was interesting that. Uh, you, oh, well, here, I take that back. I said none from the United States, but here is one from the United States. Uh, this is a outlaw Chardonnay uh, from USA. Producer is Globus Wine. So, now, yeah, that's the only one I saw. So maybe the United States did enter, and there was just absolutely no mention of her, only one winner. But a wine-in-the-box competition, that just seems... Uh, Odd, <laughs> if you will. Okay. Uh, let me go on to... Okay. Oh, yeah, this is this is something that caught my eye, especially in the fact that I have a couple of ant bites on my foot now, which I don't know where I got them, but fire ant bites on my foot because whenever I get them, they welt up like fire ants do. 
if you're not familiar with fire ants, they're actually I think they were from Argentina originally. Uh, boy, I, in this article is about uh, Argentina ants, but you know fire ants are originally from Argentina and they worked their way up to the Central American countries and up to Mexico and into the United States, Texas originally, and they spread across the southern states. It's a warm weather ant. Uh, I from what I understand, I don't think they can survive cold, but they're called fire ants because if they bite you, it felt like a match that was on fire was put out right there at that spot. And it hurts, uh, to say the least. Uh, some people are very allergic to them. Uh, I get little welts, real red welts from them, like most people do. They are all over, and you've got to be careful and fields and stuff because if you aren't you can step on them and they are very aggressive and they will swarm attack you and start biting you we are constantly trying to kill them and everywhere here in florida i had a bunch out at the winery uh when the winery flooded the uh fire ants have the ability to just bundle together crawl on each other and just float and they will float until they find land again, and then they will uh, stay there. But ferns are a nasty thing. And, like I said, I think they were from Argentina, as is this article about ants. Argentina is having a problem with ants. Uh, they're an issue from the moment the vines are planted. Ants are... Uh, common pests, they affect nearly every producer in Argentina, uh, and it's almost impossible to eradicate them. That's, I mean, you can you can put stuff on the ground and all that, uh, but they are on the green parts of the vines, the leaves and the young sh shoots, and eating those uh, to the point where they can't work, uh, the plants can't work their photosynthesis to help in the ripening the berries. So it is a serious, serious problem. Uh, they are present in the terrain of uh, South America all over the place, uh, but uh, when it's in the vineyards now, it's just uh, uh, devastating uh, and major headache. Uh, the uh, the, one of the problems that they have is they're trying to go uh, more organic. And since they're going organic, and like I just talked about, how you can't use all these different things, the fire ants, or fire ants, these killer ants, they call them, are multiplying. There's nothing to stop them that's strong enough in the uh, non chemical way, uh, the organic way, they've got birds around there and all that, but it's not helping a whole lot because birds aren't going to eat them. Uh, they say that the wine growers are uh, the ones that spray insecticides are even worried because uh, when the climate change is worsened, the problem, and uh, it's just... Uh, the ants are thriving everywhere in dry conditions, and that is one of the things that's causing the ants to take off is because it's so dry, and they 
they like to drive the uh, the, the dry climates, the dry earth. Uh, uh, they, you know, they said that they've tried all sorts of stuff and everything, and nothing's worked. And uh, because it is dry too, they're starting to have problem with uh, wild hogs, which. Just about everybody in the world seems to be having a problem with wild hogs. But when they get into your vineyard, they can destroy your vineyard overnight. I mean, it's it's just amazing. Uh, so, um, you see major damage being done by the wild boar population. And there's no solution. In 2018, two French hunters were injured in the region of the lower when a wild boar attacked them, and they said the animal weighed about 220 pounds. So it's the, between the ants and the wild boar, they're starting to question in some areas, as said here, of the use of no pesticides, uh, nothing to kill the ants. It's You have to weigh in one hand, do I want to continue to be organic? Or in the other hand, do I want to have a crop? And a lot of times the answer is very simple. You don't sacrifice your crop just trying to stay organic. You know, let's spray those ants and get them dead. So uh, there you go. It's a serious, serious problem there. Okay, let me cross off these things here and let me go to something else. Speaking of serious problems, let me get to that page here. Speaking of serious problems, there is, let's see, where is this? What country is this? Uh, this is in, uh, in France, <laughs> France also. Uh, the uh, wine growers in an area of France are really getting upset. Uh, there's goats. Uh, the herd, which is part of a pastoral farming initiative, has been sprawling out of control since 2016. The uh, original herd was 80 goats. Now it's up to 1,400 goats. And so they're destroying the vineyards and could cause traffic jams and all sorts of accidents. I mean, it's, it's, there's that's a lot of goats, 1,400 goats. Uh, they put up electric fence around vineyards, but the goats are just jumping over the fence. And so they're looking at making it bigger and higher and all that. But the goats come in, and they eat the buds and the grapes. And it's been going on for about three years now in the vineyards are just fed up with it. They said some of the goats have even abandoned their owners and are wild, and those are the ones that are causing more problems than anything. So uh, in May 2022, the owner promised to regain control of the goats and collected 45,000 signatures on a petition to save them from euthanasia. Uh, it's open season on the goats that have been killed. Uh, but 
As the growers say, she has done nothing, and the situation continues to get worse. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, quite a few vineyards in the area here, from what the article says, there's uh, uh, a lot of vineyards that are being affected by these goats going around and eating everything in, in their path. Like uh, a swarm of locusts, <laughs> you know. Is almost that bad. So, uh, goats in Corbias, Corbias vineyards. Uh, yeah, Corbias. Okay, and is that the only thing on that? Yes, it is. And let's go to this next one. And look at this. And. Oh, this this was an interesting article that I, I thought you might enjoy some highlights of it. It says, will nutrition and ingredient list on wine labels boost sales? Would it? Ask yourself that. If you picked up a wine label and it had all the ingredients listed and the nutrition box on it, would you be more apt to pick up that wine as opposed to one that does not have all that information on it? Personally, I think it wouldn't make a difference to me. I'm not well, I'm not making wine anymore, so therefore it doesn't affect me. If they required me to do it, I think I'd be really quite upset because it's just more printing and more cost and everything. If it's an option, okay. But if I were to pick up a bottle that had all this information on it, I would find it interesting, fascinating. I would definitely read it and look for others so I can read it and compare them and stuff like that. But to say that it was going to affect my choice, of a wine? I don't believe so. I try different wines all the time anyway. I'm always out there buying a different bottle of this or that. and I find wines that I like and I will gravitate toward some of them that I had before and I enjoy. But if it had nutrition or ingredient information on it, I don't think personally it would affect my decision. How about you? Would it? I I don't know. Uh, if it's something that sits well with you, email me. Uh, let me know what you think about it. But I, I don't know. It says here historically we've chosen to accentuate the romance of wine. Uh, this is from Bill Legion, who is. Uh, uh, previous founder Jamison Ranch Vineyards and the president of Han Family Wines. He said, but in the process, especially in recent years, we've ceded grounds to other categories in the alcoholic beverage space that are clearly communicating their ingredients and nutrition, like hard seltzer. He continues, this is especially frustrating because from a health standpoint, wine is much purer and quote-unquote healthier than seltzer. 
but we can't put that information on our label in so many words, okay? That it, yes, and that's another point too. You can't say wine is healthy. You have listened to my show, for those who are not new. You have listened to my show and you've heard me read scientific studies and group studies and all sorts of stuff that say wine is healthy and it's good for you. Wine is not healthy and it's bad for you. Wine is healthy and it's good for you. Wine is bad for you. Don't drink. I mean, it just, it goes back and forth. There hasn't been no solid conclusive evidence one way or the other by all of these studies. I believe it's healthy for you. I guarantee you that red wine is going to help your heart and it's going to help you overall and you know you drink enough of it and help your disposition we would hope too but nothing has been done that you can put on the label wine is healthy wine is good for your heart you can't put that on the label you can stand there and tell people wine is good for your heart you can stand behind the counter of the tasting bar and say red wine is good for your heart but you can't put it on the label and nobody's going to disagree with you too much if you tell them that wine is good for your heart. But again, you can't put it on the label. So, uh, industry is in a state of flux right now. Uh, Americans bought less wine last year than they did in 2021. That seems strange. And the effervescent growth of hard seltzer has also fizzled a bit. After growing 12% in 2021, it declined to 5.5% in 2022. But it's still up there. It's still got a pretty big amount of sales, that hard seltzer. But it's also got information label on it. So... He goes on on this about putting stuff on there. Uh, the only growth statement in wine is in the 60-plus group. Yay for us. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know. I, I, well, okay. I say I read something on these things, and I start thinking about it. The, he says that we need to do something to get people to turn to the benefits of wine. And by putting the labels on there, the transparency of ingredients and nutrition might be the way to do it. Uh, producers have been resisting the song of data and facts in lieu of the legend. But after making nutritional labels optional in 2013, the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, that's the TTB I've mentioned many times before, has signaled in response to an executive order from the president that it will prioritize creating more robust labeling requirements. Oh, no. The president needs to keep his pen down and quit signing these executive orders he doesn't know squat about. The TTB is expected to greenlight allergen and nutritional labels by the end of 2023. 
with ingredients getting the go-ahead in 2024. The EU European Union is in the process of requiring ingredients on labels via QR codes. All right. I can go with that. I can go with the QR code information. You know, if you're curious about this stuff, pick up your phone, have your QR code app in there, scan the QR code, and read the information. All you want, go to town on it. But to require labels to have this information is, to me, absurd. Do you have to get each wine tested and the ingredients listed so you can put them on the label? And how is that going to work? Because you make a wine, it's ready to be bottled. But wait, this sample, you need to send it to a lab so they can get all the ingredients laid out for you. Then that way you can then get your label printed and then you can bottle it. So what we're looking at, a week, month, three months, just way, way too complicated. QR code, yay. I can see that. Okay. Let us do a QR code, and anyone out there who really wants to know this stuff can just scan it and read it. But the requires to put it on the label. I don't think it's going to make a difference in what people buy or not. Maybe people are just cutting back on wine because they are. I mean, it's not because it doesn't have that information on it. It, it goes, it says, the reason for a winery's decision to share their ingredients can be various as ingredients themselves. But it all boils down to one thing, showing essentially what isn't in the wine showing you what's not in here. So if it's not listed, you're going to have to assume it's not in there. Um, a brand that uh, pioneered the labeling ingredients in 2007 was Bonnie Dune. Uh, initially, other wineries are doing it. This one here says, initially we did it because we were alarmed by the number of ingredients that TTB was allowing in wine. You can go back 100 plus years and the only things you had in wine were grapes and sulfites. And the sulfites were for preservation. And it's not a lot. It's not going to kill you. And there's more sulfites and, you know, uh, gummy bears than there is in, in wine. But starting in the 1970s and going all the way through the early 2000s, the TTB approved more than 60 additives, including Mega Purple and Velcron. And these can be poisonous in large doses, but they don't build up in your system. So it's not like, oh my gosh, I've been drinking red wine for X number of years, so therefore all this is built up and it's going to kill me. No, don't worry about it. And Mega Purple is used a lot or different. Mega Purple is the name he used here, but there's a lot of other names for different manufacturers that do it. And what it is, is just a high concentration of coloring from 
grapes that you add to your grape to give it a little bit more color. All right. Uh, it's not particularly chemically made. It's just a concentration of skins and stuff that companies do to get this high intense color that you can add to something to increase the color. And a lot of wines, I, I would guess a lot of wines do that. Uh, you, you may find that in a lot, lot of different wines. Uh, uh, let's see. It's, uh, it says that the younger generation, particularly Gen Z, wants more guarantees from the brands and from the wines. They want more transparency. Uh, yeah, well, why? Why the younger generation wants more transparency? Because people tell them you want more transparency, and they go, yeah, we do. I don't know if that's really a thing. I know I'm editorializing a lot on this here, but it just it sort of drives me nuts. Uh, the, the label, uh, what, we're going to have a fold-out book of label. Uh, you know, I mean, there's like... 250 to 350 different chemicals in, in wine, depending on what wine you get and all that. Are we going to have to list all these? Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line and say, okay, if it contains this amount, then it needs to be labeled, and if it's below this amount, you don't have to do it. But where's the line that you draw for this amount and that amount? And if somebody's just wants to know everything in there, then you should list them all. And I don't know. It's just, it, I am, I'm not a fan of ingredients and nutrition, uh, nutrition box. Yeah, okay, maybe. But, you know, most of it's going to be zero, zero, zero anyway. And you find that at different things. Vinegar, okay, the vinegar, ingredients, you know, nutrition, uh, vitamin D, B, A, all this stuff, zero, zero, sugar, zero, zero, you know, everything is zero. But you're required to put that on there. And if they do that with wine, that's going to end up being most of it anyway, zero, zero, zero. Uh, let us do a QR code. And if you want to find out what it is, then scan it and you can see everything. And then you can put all 350 different chemicals in the trace amounts you know, uh, one micron of this and three microns of that. Okay, fine. But uh, to require it to be on the label is expensive and a little bit of overkill, I think. I, I just, having a winery, and I, I'm standing up for wineries here, if you think you, you want to know that information, great. But Let's put it in a QR code, and that way it can be scanned and everything can be there. Uh, you don't have to. And also in a QR code, you can they can explain stuff, too, and they can go into different information that you're not going to be able to put on the label. So let's, let's do a QR code. Uh, again, let's stop this exactly water stuff with wine and or any spirits or anything because... You know, honestly, you really don't know what you're doing, Mr. President. You know, and let's let's do it in an intelligent situation. Okay, uh, winery should adopt more transparent and clear labeling conventions. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's what it says here. 
but uh, it's uh, the proportion of wine sold to people 30 to 40 has dropped 1.27%. And proportion of wine sold to people age 40 to 50 have dropped 7.36%. But is that because they don't know what's in the wine? Or is it because they're doing more? There, there's so many more things like the hard seltzers and stuff like that. Even with wine coming in a can now and the possibilities of you having wine in a can, I am a ranger at a golf course here. And I guarantee you, I throw a lot of wine cans away, or beer cans away, but I'm never throwing a wine can away. It's just not something that people drink in those things. So, oh my gosh, look at the sales of beer, how it's jumped up. Well, it's you have to put that in context, I think. So, uh, the battle's going to continue. Uh, <laughs> it says the screaming outrage that resulted when photos of a wine list, list divided by calories emerged online suggest otherwise. Uh, turning negative growth into positive growth surely isn't just a matter of splashing 100 calories per serving on a bottle of Pinot Noir, but it may help turn this slow-moving ship around. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it's it, it says wine list divided by calories. Uh, yeah, restaurant. And South African red wines appear to be lower calorie choice than other southern hemisphere red wines according to the Morton's Steakhouse National Wine List. And they have a wine list and it says Argentinian red, uh, 605 calories per bottle. Chilean red, 605 bottles per bottle. Uh, Ugarian red, 605 calories per bottle. Australian and New Zealand red, 610 bottles, uh, calories per bottle. And it... Uh, Let's see. I, I'm just trying to see where it says about South African. But uh, here, Jamie Good, who wrote books, who is a great author. I, I love his books. Uh, blasted the list structuring. He said, what a stupid idea, not based on reality. So, you know, when you start labeling stuff like calories and things like that, you're, you're Let's put it in context. All right, let's do the QR code. Put me down in the QR code column, not on all this other stuff. So, gee, how do you really feel, Ron? Uh, <laughs> so there you go. That's that's my rant for today, I guess. Uh, hey, got a good point. I don't understand. Maybe it's uh, the times we're in right now. It, it hadn't mattered for how many centuries that uh, I mean, they're finding bottles from thousands of years ago. Now all of a sudden we need to know what the, what's inside of it and the uh, nutrition info, things are changing and it's just, uh, you know, it's crazy. Well, and again, if you want to know it, QR code on the bottle. Yeah. QR code can take it to the website. It takes the nutrition, you know, it take it mm-hmm. to the website and then click here for nutrition information, and it drives people to the website. And 
you know, I I don't know. I just I I think it's yeah. crazy to have to list everything on the label, right? And, and and the logistics of it. That's the thing too. Okay, every year it's going to change. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some changes in those ingredients. So yeah. you're going to have to get a new label printed every year. So therefore, the cost is going to go up. And therefore, all of you people listening, your cost for a bottle of wine is going to go up. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to absorb that in the winery. They're going to pass that on to you. And if they have to print a new label every year and if they have to get these ingredients uh, chemically analyzed in a lab, that's going to cost them. All this stuff is going to be factored into that bottle of wine you're buying. Yeah. So, you know, I know. It just it drives me nuts. Yeah. You know, then we got our president yeah. decided to put his signature on it and, you know, leave it yeah. alone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah really. Yeah. So. Oh. Okay. Maybe. So, yeah. done with my rant for this week. No, um, it was good. It was, uh, let's see, what are we doing? Uh, the 11th, May, okay, two weeks. All right, um, so our next uh, show is going to be uh, next Thursday, May 11th, and um, not a guest uh, so far yet on that date, but we do have a guest tentatively scheduled for the 18th, the following week, so uh, join us uh, next week for sure. At, oh, did uh, 7 you have nurses, nurses holiday, nurse day oh, or no. something? I was hoping, yeah. Was, uh, let me see here. Nurse uh, uh, holiday 2020. Nurses holidays? Yeah, yeah, I come up with. Uh, look at that. Look at that. When did they use that? May the 6th. National May the nurses. 6th. May the 6th. National Nurses Day. There you go. Again, yeah, couple yeah. Of days away. Oh wow! Why do they only get uh, one day? One but day. Uh, uh, there's a nurse nurse dot com lists um, additional dates. There's um, there's a national certified registered nurse anesthetist, whatever it is, CRNA week, which was uh, January twenty second through the twenty eighth. There's a national IV Nurse Day. I didn't really. Hang on. There's something else. What, how many days? Okay. Now they're just separating them. Um, yeah. Gosh, there's all kinds of. But the sixth is National Nurse Day, huh? Uh, yes. National Nurses Day is May 6th, followed by National Student Nurses Day on May 8th. Uh, okay. There's, okay. Don't get um, carried away here. Yeah. We were just asking. <laughs> national Nurses Week is coming up uh, May 6th through the 12th. There you go. Um, so there's, there's uh, a little bit more than I thought there was. I definitely didn't, wasn't even thinking about, uh, I mean, it goes into June. There's a couple of in June, September has a few, October. Yeah. Um, November. So yeah, there's, there's a few. Go to, uh, I'll have to probably bring that up again. Nurse.com has a listing of uh, nurse appreciation dates uh, calendar. So, um, but this Saturday is National Nurses Day. So thank you very much. Let's <laughs> bring that up.
I think I lost Ron. Ron, I don't hear you if you're talking. I just realized that. I mentioned something and it's silent here. Am I silent here? No, I can hear. Hold on a second. Let me run this. Yeah, I can hear that. Ron, are you there? Let me play something from... Let me play something from here. Uh, hold on. Yep, I can hear Blog Talk Radio. Ron, I think you've gone silent. I don't know why, but all of a sudden there's no audio coming from you. <clears throat> so, uh, with that said, oh, you know what? Isn't that something? Wow. All of a sudden it's like 50-something seconds late. Wow. Anyway, May the 11th, I don't hear Ron. Oh, maybe he's on now. Hold on a second. Let me bring him on. Ron. Yeah, you mean. Yeah, there you are. You am on? Yes, you're on. Okay. Yeah, I just, it cut me off. I got the, and I was no longer with you. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I'm glad mm-hmm. to wait until the end of the show, and I hope it doesn't do it on guests anymore. Right. Uh, yeah, until the end so, of the show, that was timing. Right. Uh, so anyway, uh, May the 11th will be our next show, 7 p.m. Ron is back uh, on the other line. So um, yeah. thank you all for tuning in, and uh, we'll chat with you next week. Uh, same time, same channels, all that good stuff. And have a good week. Be safe. Mm-hmm. Happy Nurses Day. All right. We'll see you next week. Thank you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. There we go. And, all right. And that, and that. Okay, back to the green room. Let me uh, drag everybody to the